On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. get into a teaching this morning called The Time Is Now, which is the first of this part of the series of this teachings called More. The Time Is Now. There's a uh there's a lot that's gotten into at least me getting here today. Uh, I don't know how you guys have been feeling, but it was so nice to have like Christmas and a little break there, but I was like sick through the whole thing, right? So, so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I just, I've spent my time in bed because now I, just, I had to be here. So I may not be greeting you out there. I may not be doing that after service. We'll see how this goes, but um, I had to be here for this uh, because I believe God wants to set a direction for us in 2019. And so I've taken the last four days to just lay in bed. You should see my wife going, really? You're just going to lay here again? I'm like, hey, pastors only work one day a week. I just got to be there for Sunday. That was a joke, people. Okay. <laughs> I knew that, right? Okay. Uh, and so, uh, but I wanted to be here this morning because I believe this, I want to, I want to align us to a vision for 2019 that I believe God is speaking to us. And I've been, and I've been sharing uh, all throughout the Christmas season that those teachings kind of were the foundation, laying a foundation for what I want to talk about today. So this morning I have what I believe is a word from the Lord for us as a congregation, but also for the greater body of Christ. I believe that in 2019, uh, we're going to see a dramatic um, shift in spiritual activity. Uh, the Bible says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, first there is the physical, and then there is the spiritual. Oftentimes, you ever, you ever meet someone, you go, huh, and you're, you're like wanting to figure something out, or a situation, or a person out, you're like, there's something going on here more than meets the eye, and you can't quite discern exactly what it is, and then you spend a little more time, and you realize, oh, this isn't a physical thing, this is a spiritual thing. You meet someone, and you go, this person is bitter, and I wouldn't know why, but I just know what they are, and then the more time you spend, you go, oh, it is bitterness. You know what I'm talking about? And so the Lord begins to reveal things, and oftentimes we'll see things that are physical, that are a representation of something that is spiritual. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about how first comes the physical and then the spiritual. Well, I believe the spiritual realm is going to start, you're going to start to see things that you've already seen in the physical realm. You've seen things and you've gone, what is that? I want to talk about some of those this morning. Much of what I believe God is doing in the world, he's doing in our hearts. He's doing in people's hearts. People's hearts were saying, I want to be available. I want, I want the Lord to use me. I want, I want to be... I want to know what he wants from me. And so be patient because God will eventually show you. And sometimes we look at today and we go, I don't get it. Why is this happening? Just know this. First comes the physical and then the spiritual. We eventually get to understand it. We have a little phrase we use called seeing hindsight is what? 2020. See, we're looking at it in the midst of the situation. We don't understand it. But then farther down the road we go, oh, this is why. We didn't understand it in the moment. So I want you to know that God is inviting you and God is inviting me to be a part of his plans. And I know for some of you, you're thinking because he needs your approval. No, he doesn't, right? <laughs> Just know he's wanting, wants you to be part of the plans because he wants to invite you into it. He's inviting you into what he's wanting to do. Um, and, but be patient. God is starting to un unravel some of those things to us. In Romans, open your Bibles to the book of Romans, please. The book of Romans contains what has been called by many the constitution for the Christian life. 
Paul, a guy named Paul, wrote this book. And uh, he wrote it to a church like ours, but it was meeting, a city church was meeting in a place called Rome. We all know that place, right? And this book not only has the plan of salvation, but it also has a beautiful, if you, if you really dig in deep, how do I live an effective Christian life in the midst of dark storms? How, how do I live a life? And all you got to do is take a look around. We're in the midst of dark storms. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And this is a book that teaches what time it is. And that's what I want to get into today, what time it is, and how do we, how do we respond in the, in the day and time that we live. In chapter 13, the book of Romans, I want to start this morning, I want to give you a good picture of how we're supposed to be living. So it goes like this, starting in verse 11. This is, and he's talking about how we're supposed to love each other, right? Love one another unconditionally. Don't put conditions on it. Don't go, well, I'll love you if you do this for me, right? Because I want you to love each other. And then he says this in verse 11. This is all more urgent. It's all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Man, are you kidding me? Wake up for salvation. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Watch this. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't, watch this now, shifting. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, immoral living, quarreling, jealousy. Instead, verse 14, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let, yourselves, don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Where do you do that one, right? May I encourage you, if you're one of those people that don't believe you can write into a Bible, you can write in your Bible. This is a textbook. Um, I'm in the middle of my master's degree right now, and I'm writing in all my textbooks. I write notes in the margins. I write it everywhere. But this is the first textbook I ever wrote in. Because back in the day when I was in school, you weren't allowed to write in your textbooks because you got charged. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So this is my first textbook, and I write all over it. If you're one of those people that do write in there, I want you to just take your pen and just write here, verses 11 through 14. You can write these words, two words, set apart. That's what, that's what God is looking for. He says, listen, I don't want you to act like them. I'm trying to set you apart for a purpose. I have something for you. We are to be set apart. In our culture right now, we are, we, are, we are watching, we are seeing daily an incredible polarization in our culture. And I'm not talking just political. There is a spiritual polarization. There is a, there, there is, there is a division that is happening, that is sides are separating out in the economy with, with all kinds of issues. We're, we're watching this polarization happen with immigration, with money, in the church, in politics. Again, it's, there's this polarization, and it's farther and farther apart. And unfortunately, I just don't believe it's going to get better anytime soon. I believe this polarization is going to heat up even more. But it's causing a deep division in our world, in the world where we live, and not just the United States. But I want you to know that this intensity that I'm talking about, the intensity, I know that you feel it. 
When you're at a party and all of a sudden it gets political and you go, everybody be quiet, everybody, and you try and run away, you know, it's like it talks to, it's, it moves to religion or what about Jesus? And it's like, oh man, something's going to blow up, somebody's going to, right? We try and avoid all this because it gets so heated up. But I want to tell you something. God has a use for these moments, these intense moments, because that's when God's spirit begins to move as well if we will allow him to move through us. The Bible teaches, and of course we know this through experience, that darkness is an excellent backdrop for light to shine. The darker it gets, the better it is to shine your light. And we walk into these dark places and we go, turn off the light, do not turn on the light, don't say anything about Jesus, it's really dark here. University, work, family gatherings, I don't know what your darkness is, but somehow we've been convinced the darker it is, the more you don't turn on your light. But throughout Scripture, we are told, and Jesus told us, you are the light of the world. I want you to shine your light. I want everybody to see what you've got. You're, you're like a city set on a hill. They're going to go, oh, wow. We're supposed to sh shine our light. But in order to do that, we're going to have to respond. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning is a response from the body of Christ. Not just the sanctuary, but the body of Christ that is both intercession and warfare to come against this division, to come against this polarization that's happening in our culture. And again, I realize that when I say the church, some people get all mixed up when they think, oh, so you're talking about the sanctuary? No. And again, it's in our bulletin every week. I say this, hey, pray for the church. We are not the church. We're part of the church. We are a congregation. The sanctuary is a speck of dust in the church. We're just a congregation. So we pray for the church. Every, you are praying for the church. Tell me you're praying for the church. I want you to pray for the church. Not just the sanctuary. I need, there's churches all over our valley that are meeting this morning. And their health is our health. And their unhealth is our unhealth. So we have to pray for the whole body of Christ. God wants to do something in and through the body of Christ. But it's going to take us being available to that. And so this last four weeks I've been talking about being available. That availability is unity. Am I available to be one with other believers? Or am I just going to continue going, well, that church, that church, that other, that Christian. What the Bible calls biting and devouring one another. God wants unity from us. And I want you to think of it, when, when I'm talking about unity, I'm, I'm talking about belonging. Picture, picture for a moment, and many of you have seen the news stories or whatever, but the gang problem that is happening, it's not just in the United States, it's all over the world. What people do to belong to a gang. Oh, here's what you need to do, man. You're going to walk down the street and just punch a total stranger in the head and, and, and make sure you knock him out in the middle of the street. What? Okay, I just want to belong, so I'll do that. We're going to play the knockout game. In Jesus' name, we've got to pray for that to stop. Hey, go shoot this person. You can belong in our gang. Okay, all right. I want to belong. I want approval so badly. I want to belong to something so badly. I feel so alone that I'll do anything to belong. So people are shooting one another to belong in a gang. The big thing inside of every single one of us as humanity is we want to belong to something bigger than ourselves. I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything on the planet 
bigger than the church? Nothing. And yet, people come into these doors and don't feel like they belong. Come into doors all over the, all over the world and go, oh, well, they're all kind of, they, they all know each other and I'm not welcome there. Oh, man, th- this should be the place of unity. This needs, this needs to be the place of belonging. Because I have been approved, you have been approved by the only one that matters. I don't care what you think. I'm already accepted. But it would be good if we could get along. And God is calling for that. He's calling for us to be set apart. The words in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 echo as true today as they did then. See if you can pull out set apart in this verse. If my people who are called by my name, who are set apart, will humble themselves, will set themselves apart, and pray, set themselves apart, and seek my face, set themselves. Do you see how much he's saying? you got to be different. If my people do this, they are set apart. They will be called by my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. This is what I do for the people who are set apart. I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive their sins. I'm going to heal their lands. And I'll tell you what, our land needs healing more than ever today. Where's that healing going to come from? God says he wants to heal our lands. Did you see it? The healing comes when my people are set apart and stop acting like them. We're different. We're the people of God. This word that I want to bring to you today has a lot to do with being set apart. God is calling us as a people, young and old, to be set apart if you're filling in your blanks, the first one here is there is going to be a time of great presence. It's a time of great presence. You got your app, you can fill in that first blank. It's a time of great presence. Now, this may seem the exact opposite of a deep division, but what I'm talking about is those who are set apart will experience an incredible presence. And I'm talking about a presence where people go, wow, why, why is that person so peaceful? Why is that person so calm in the midst of crazy in our, in our culture, in our school, with all this going on and everybody's worried, they're a person of peace. Man, that person got so mistreated and they just said, I forgive them, it's okay. Wait, what? They're so gracious. Why in the midst of all this anxiety does that person have joy? Because that's what God does when people are set apart. And please keep in mind, again, I'll give you a definition, my working definition for being set apart. Getting away from the stuff we've been getting away with. We, we think we're getting away with it. Late at night, everybody's in bed, nobody's going to see. And God says, get away from that. We think we can whisper to our neighbor, oh, and then she this, that, and you believe that she was... A, 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 a. You, you, you've been getting away with it? The gossip, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the things that that Paul mentions here, the partying, promiscuity, immoral living, quarreling, jealousy. You think you've been getting away with it, but listen, I'm begging you, get away from it. It's going to kill you. It will destroy you. It has one, one priority in your life to destroy you. Give it enough room. Give it enough birth. And, and I just, I find myself, every time I get together with that person, I'm always gossiping. Whenever I, whenever I get on the computer, I have to go to those websites. 
It just keeps getting bigger. The Bible says, and then it gives birth to death. Jude. We've got to be careful. I believe that we will see great displays of God's brilliant presence. As people set themselves apart and say, wait a minute. I'm living for you and you alone. I don't live for my boss. I don't live for my spouse. I don't live for my kids. I don't live for my friends. I live for God and God alone. And that's enough. His eye is on the sparrow. This nobody. That's who's watching over me. And I want you to hear that because I believe that we will see the Holy Spirit take over worship services. I believe we will see the Holy Spirit take over concerts just because something shifts. Because people who are available because his presence is there. Because do you know what? That's the, that's the marking of God's people. It's not where we go to church. <laughs> so many churches. It's not what kind of cars we drive, what kind of bumper stickers we have, what radio stations we listen to. The thing that sets God's people apart is his presence. Here's what it says in Exodus 33. Look at this. You've got to love this now. Moses is talking to God. He's just led the people out of Egypt. He wants to continue to lead them, but here's his conversation with God. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I can understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. He's putting it back, right? Moses is having a conversation with God. These are your people, you know. And the Lord responds with this. I will personally go with you, Moses. I'm gonna give you rest and everything's gonna be fine for you. Then Moses said, wait, what's this response? This is always Moses, but Moses, right? Here he goes. But Moses says, if you don't personally go, I just told you I was. Anybody see it? <laughs> I just told you I'm going with you. But if you don't go with us, don't make us leave this place. I, listen, if you're not with us, I'm staying right here. I ain't going not a step further. I'd rather go back to Egypt than go into the promised land without you. Do you hear it? Look at God's response. Oh, you got to hear this. Moses says, how's anybody going to know that you look favorable on me and on your people if you don't go with us? Listen, listen to what God is saying. It's his presence. It's his presence. He says, your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. That's your notes. The distinguishing characteristic of the people of God is his presence not what we wear, not what songs we sing. Well, we're, we're more of a Hillsong worship congregation. Who cares? <laughs> we do more Bethel worship. So what? Is God's presence there? And I will tell you what, I've had it happen so many times. People will come by in the middle of the week. Nothing special. I, I, want, you, I want you to hear this clearly. But people come by in the middle of the week and say, can I just sit in, in the Father's house? It's so peaceful in there. You know why? Because we set this room apart for a purpose. We said, we want God's presence here. And so people come in here and go, I I've had so many people tell me, it just felt kind of like home. And I just, I just want to sit in here. Is it okay if I, if I come by during the week and just kind of sit in here? Sure. This is the only time of peace I have through my week. Awesome. Come. Here's the second piece. A time of suddenlies. Yes, it's a word I made up. They're called suddenlies. Oh man, I got a case of the suddenlies. You ever have the suddenlies? It's like this was happening. Oh my gosh, that happened. Oh, that happened. It, the suddenlies were upon me, right? The suddenlies are essentially an acceleration. 
there's this acceleration that happens. It's what I call the suddenlies. It's like a woman who's giving birth to a child. And there are these long months of formation followed by this uncomfortable time of stretching. My, my daughter used to say to me when she was pregnant, she would say, hey, Dad, I'm growing a brain today. What'd you do? You know, I'm like, hmm, yeah, well, yeah. I'm like, wow, you know. But, but it's, an amazing, it's an amazing preparation. But the preparation has to lead to something, right? All that's going on. She's, she's pregnant. My wife, we've had four kids, and so I'm just watching her. She starts to swell. You're like, whoa. Don't ever tell them how big they're getting, by the way. And... <laughs> I tried matching spouse and house, you know, at the same time. I'm like, my spouse, big as a house. I'm like, oh, such a bad idea. Um, but so while she's doing that kind of preparation, her body is preparing. Her womb is preparing. Her cervix is preparing. Her body is preparing for birth. What am I doing? I'm preparing a room. I'm painting and buying diapers and stocking up on food and doing all. I'm doing my preparation. And then it happens, Right? Right when mom, and when it's the right time, she wakes up, she goes, I think my water just broke. And this is one of your blanks. When the fullness of preparation meets the fullness of time, that's when the suddenly start to happen. I want you to catch this. The fullness of preparation meeting the fullness of time. And we see it happen all the time. We're fully prepared. Everything is ready. Everything is ready. Have you ever met someone who's been pregnant for 12 months? Because that's not the fullness of time. The fullness of time is nine months, and sometimes earlier. But that's the fullness of time. So the fullness of preparation meets the fullness of time, and boom, suddenly my water broke. Sudden, and so we're like, oh, your water broke? We get to the hospital. You're already dilated to six. What? Right? The suddenlies are happening. Any, anybody had that experience? It's the suddenlies. And I believe that as we prepare ourselves, as we set ourselves apart, and we prepare our hearts, and we prepare our minds, and we prepare, God, what do you want to do with me? I'm available. It will meet the, the perfect time. That time will come, the fullness of time, and the fullness of our preparation, and God will go. Has that ever happened? You're working, you're working, you're working, and all of a sudden, it breaks through. You're like, oh, finally. The fullness of preparation and the fullness of time. And that's when suddenlies happen. We are entering into a time of the suddenlies. Are you prepared? The time is coming. Are you prepared? I want to be prepared. I want to be ready in my mind, in my heart, in the way I think, in the way I process, and how I respond to things, not reacting anymore. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. Here's the third piece. A time of abundant harvest. You're filling in those blanks. This is the third one. Abundant harvest. The first one was the great presence. The second one was the suddenlies. The third thing I believe that we're coming to is a time of abundant harvest. I believe God wants to rebirth the role of the evangelist. Yeah. And what we learned all throughout the Christmas season is that God often uses the least qualified but the most available to get things done. Are you available? available? Moses was available. David was available. Esther was available. We, are you available? Because that's who God wants to use. And, not, and again, for, for me, I, I go, a lot of times I'm like, really, he's going to use that person? I read the stories and I'm like, and then I look in the mirror and I go, really, he's going to use that person? 
And I think of myself, the fifth out of seven kids, the one who's kind of lost in the shuffle, the one born in Pacoima. What good can come from Pacoima, right? <laughs> I'm still waiting to find out. I don't know. No, but listen to this. And then, and then God's given the gift, ADHD, for you, Marty. Oh, great. Yeah, that's, I'm going to use that gift. Would you be available to me? I'm available. Again, I'm waiting to see what God wants to do. I just show up. You got anything you want me to do today? Anything you have for me? Because I'm available. Here I am, send me. I'll go. I'll talk to whoever you want me to talk to. I'll go for it. What you would be surprised at, you'd probably be surprised that by nature, I'm a loner. By nature, I'm an isolator. I like to pull off to the side and just be by myself. By nature, I'd rather just be by myself, but by calling. He said, you got to get out there and you got to tell people how much I love you. Oh, i got to tell people how much you love me. Which in turn, please hear this, how much he loves you. you got to hear this. And so I'll talk to anybody, anywhere. My preference, the way I was shaped, the way I was made, don't talk to anybody. This person is a total stranger. And that's usually what they're looking at when I come talk to them. Mm, creeper, right? Stalker on aisle four, stalker, right? No, but God's called me to go talk to people. And so that's what I do, because that's what God's called me to do. But God uses the least qualified but the most available. At the beginning of this year, Billy Graham graduated into heaven. And his mantle, his role in the church as an evangelist is left here. The, the word mantle it, it, in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 2, talks about a guy named Elijah, and he's got this apprentice named Elisha. That's God's big joke on all of us when he gets two names so close to each other, you're like, who's who, right? At least that's my problem anyway. I'm like, Elijah or Elisha? They work together, which we first, you know? This guy, Elijah, is a prophet, and he has this cloak that he wears. It's called a mantle. And that mantle is that he's the prophet. That's his office. There's a representation of it. And he's got this apprentice named Elisha that's been working with him. And then Elijah, through a series of events I won't get into today, but he leaves, and he leaves his cloak behind. I believe with my whole heart that when Billy Graham went to heaven, he left his, his mantle, his cloak, as the evangelist. He couldn't take it with him. We take nothing with us to heaven. And you know what? That mantle, that, that role in the body of Christ, no one has led more people to Christ than that man. In our modern era, Billy Graham, the entire world over, well, he's gone. Who got the mantle? I don't believe it's going to one man or one woman. I believe it's going to an entire generation. That's on your blanks. Fill that out. This mantle, this covering, is being given to an entire generation God says, I don't want to work through one person. I want to work through lots of people. I can get more done. But we all go, well, let Billy Graham tell him about Jesus. No, I want to use you and you and her and him and them and them. Well, can't you just use Billy Graham? He's gone. And so that mantle falls to us. It's time for a soul harvest, an abundant harvest to come in. And I believe this will especially happen among the youth. 
I believe the youth are a fatherless generation that are looking for someone, looking for a place to belong, looking for a place where they are accepted, looking for a place to go, I'm safe. And when they find out that the church is it, they will come in droves. But it, it's going to cost us being set apart. We can't keep doing the stuff we've been doing because the youth are like, what a bunch of hypocrites. They see right through our facade. Oh, yeah, Jesus, right, whatever, Mom. I see the way you talk with the neighbor. Oh, Dad, yeah, yeah, you say Jesus on Sunday. I hear you how you use Jesus' name during the week, though. <laughs> Time to get away from the stuff we've been getting away with. Because the next generation is staring at us. They're going, really? What a phony. I believe the youth are going to be coming into the church, into the body of Christ. Not this church, the church. In order for that to happen, we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to grow up into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We have to get set apart. And I believe this year, I'm going to be sharing a lot, actually, in 2019 about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is this forgotten God that we don't talk about anymore? Jesus said, listen, I can't be with you anymore. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you, so I'm leaving you another helper. I'm leaving you another advocate. I'm leaving you another come alongsider. He's going to come and he's going to help you. He's going to get you. He's going to empower you to do things you couldn't imagine. Okay, so Jesus, would you please help me? No, the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? How does friendship with the Holy Spirit change our life? Oh, come with me. This year, we're going to discover that. You're going to find out how we can reverse the neglect of the Holy Spirit in the church. Jesus said, this is who I've given you to help you. And we go, yeah, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit anymore. Then why would he give it to us and then take it away? What a cruel trick. Well, I've only given the Holy Spirit for the first few hundred years. Then I'm going to remove it. Really? That's so mean. I'm looking forward to leading and learning in our congregation about the fullness of life in the Spirit in 2019. Because when you look closely, when you really look at Scripture, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to emphasize or, or to enhance our worship services. It was given for evangelism outside the walls of the church. Go ahead and look at it. Watch how the Holy Spirit happens in the New Testament. After Jesus leaves, he goes, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And every time he shows up, people outside the church are coming into the church. It's going to be a fun, a fun adventure. We're going to experience power encounters on the streets. In the street, we'll be having a conversation, and we'll all of a sudden, I know something I shouldn't know about this person. I have a word of knowledge, a word of discernment. You ever meet someone, you just go, this person's bitter. That's called a word of knowledge. And all of a sudden, they start to talk, and you go, yeah, I was right, you're bitter, you know? This person is very sad. They don't look sad, but there's something very sad about them. You ever had that happen? Where you just, it's called discerning something, and you're like, what's going on here? And as they start to talk, they, they begin to fall apart because they feel safe with you. And they go, I'm just really sad these days. Like, oh, I was right. We're going to watch that happen. And our daily relational contexts are going to shift as we set ourselves apart. They're going to shift toward healing. And people are going to find their healing. Why? Because God has a harvest on his mind. In Peter, he says this, hey, I want you to know this, God is not slow in accomplishing all the things he said he wanted to do. He's actually just making sure everybody has a chance to repent and come to Jesus. God isn't slow in coming back. He's just making sure everybody gets a shot. Your neighbor, 
is getting a, a chance. But if you don't tell them, who will tell them? Who will go unless they're sent? I'm sent. The fourth thing here is a time of united generations. And I believe this. I've been talking about this for years, but I believe this is coming. I believe it's about to pass. I believe a time of united generations is happening. And this last point actually brings the first three pieces together in what I believe is a prophetic word, not just for our congregation, specifically to us. There's some directions, some, some walking papers and all of this, but it, it really brings these first three pieces together, what I believe is for the body of Christ. And that is when we can see and feel his presence, that first one, and then the suddenlies of God start showing up and we start, we start experiencing that. And then in the midst of this harvest, there will be this united generations. The generations will come together. And I've been talking about this. I, I actually brought a, an author, I don't know how many of you remember, Hayden Shaw. Hayden Shaw came and talked with us over the weekend about, he, he wrote two books, Sticking Points and Generational IQ. That name of those books again, Sticking Points and Generational IQ. Today, for the first time in the history of the world, we have four and five generations in the workplace at the same time. Because a 16-year-old got a job and a 75-year-old can't afford to retire. And so they're both working and every generation in between. The problem is we're going, the old guy's here. <laughs> oh, young whippersnappers, what are they? And we do this all day long. Oh, they don't, they, 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 they. And there has to come a unity from the body of Christ that says every generation is welcome. So you walked in this morning, you saw kids handing you bulletins. Because why can't they? Why can't they be used for that? Why can't kids be in, in leading in worship? Why, can, why can't we do all generations? God's wanting to bring a united generation forward, but it starts in the church. God longs for the wisdom of the older generation to meet the resources of the middle generation and take that to meet the passion and drive of the younger generation, and you've got a recipe that is nonstop. It's unstoppable. Imagine taking all this wisdom. These, these, this older generation has all this wisdom. And, and this younger generation has all this passion, but no cash. <laughs> what if we took that passion and that wisdom and this resource and we pushed it all together in the same place? You, you see a uniting of the generations, an empowering of one another, we stop finger pointing going to young people. That's the old people. That's my mom and dad. My son and daughter. Whatever it is. We're constantly pointing the finger in other directions and God is saying, hey listen, stop doing that. If, if the church can become a united generation and I put this in your notes, God wants to be a God over several generations in one generation. This is what God's up to. I don't know how he's doing it. I'm watching as slowly people go, you know what, I'm gonna work with that person. I don't care, I, I, you, know, I, you know, it's better that I understand. I, I don't completely understand why they do what they do, but you know, I need to understand. I found out this last year, this last summer, boy did I find out the hard way how to combine these generations. I, I am in the natural, I am a father and a grandfather. Uh, of and and my grandkids, I pray more and more grandkids, right? The but this last year, I began to fulfill those same roles in the body of Christ. And this last summer, I spent a week 
Oh, Lord Jesus, I just had PTSD. Uh, <laughs> a week with fourth through sixth grade boys in a cabin, locked in. Oh, man, it was frightening. Fourth through sixth grade boys, there was, there was 12 bunks in a room. And I'm like, <clears throat> it was frightening. You can't imagine the energy that fourth through sixth grade boys can have when you put them in the same room together. Yeah, you moms are going, I have a fourth through sixth grade. Let me tell you how tough it is. No, 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 12 of them. Yeah, that's fun. So, so what I did is I spent that first week with these fourth through sixth grade boys, but we were in a camp. We had 500 fourth through sixth grade kids. And you know what I realized? They're so hungry. They're so hungry for a father. So many fatherless being raised. Nobody leading them in the way. Nobody leading them in what is right. Nobody loving them righteously, unconditionally. And I found myself being a father, and in some cases, a grandfather. And then after that one week with these fourth through sixth graders, I spent two weeks with junior high and high schoolers. Man, you need to pray for me. I get over this. Okay, so. But you know, Jesus was a youth pastor. Did you know that? The Bible says he spent 40 days with the beasts in the wilderness. So anyway, so. Okay. So, so, I, so I spent these two weeks with these junior high and high schoolers, right? And I'm telling you what, I cannot tell you how hungry these young people are. They just want to be led. They want to be led. But they look at, they look at us and go, hypocrite. They, they, they so see right through our phoniness. Church, you talk about unity. There's no unity. You, try, you talk about wanting to work with us. No, you guys are still judging us. I believe there will be a move as we, as, we, as we move into that united generations. There will be a move. And there will be fathers and mothers who stand up to a generation. And, and young people will come in and go, can, can, they're not going to use these words, but would you be my mom? Because my mom's absent. My dad's been gone for years. And when he is around, he's just yelling or hitting. Would, would you take that place? So what time is it? What time is it? We often will say, what time is it? Because we, we have little parse, parcels of time. Oh, this is the time to get this thing accomplished, and this is the time for this thing to be done, and this is the time I'm going to make a phone call, and I'm going to do this, I have this time for vacation. What time is it? I'm going to say this to you, and I want you to hear it. The time is now. The time is now. Please remove this excuse from your excuse box. I didn't have time to call you. That's like the lousiest excuse. Please don't ever say that to me. Please do yourself a favor. Don't ever tell me you didn't have time to call me. You didn't have a minute this last week? Not one? You didn't have 60 seconds? See, the time is now. Oh, I should call them right now. Oh, I don't have time right now. Yes, you do. You have time right now. Make the phone call. You have time. The time is now for God's presence. The time is now for this work, this separation, this separating ourselves and setting apart of ourselves, it is now. Paul, same guy who wrote this book in Romans, writes this in Ephesians chapter four. You're gonna love this, man. This guy rocks the house. Watch this, Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. These gifts Christ, Jesus, gave to the church, the body of Christ. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip the people, God's people, to do his work and build up the church of the body of Christ. And this is gonna continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son 
Has that happened yet? We come to maturity, faith. I don't think it has, and here's the giveaway. It's coming up right here. That we will be mature in the Lord. Here it comes, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Oh, losers in the house. Right? Oh, if, if maturity means I'm more like Jesus, that ain't happening. Can I encourage you, please? And if you've heard this once, you've heard it a million times. I know you've heard it from this pulpit. My definition for discipleship. I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, and I'm more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. That's what he's asking. Would you grow up? That's what he's asking me. Would you grow up? I'm like, okay, I'm available. What do you want me to do? Put that thing aside. You need to make room in your life for this, but there's no room in your life. It's so full of that. Oh, right. That's called replacement theology, by the way. God wants to replace things in our lives. And this unity hasn't happened. This maturity hasn't happened because Christ is the standard. And if we're measuring up against that, it's like, yeah, clearly I'm not mature. And I can't believe it because usually it's right when I think I'm mature and the thing comes out of my mouth. And I'm like, what? I was thinking I was so mature. And then I did that thing. I was thinking, man, I've really grown up now. And then I had that thought. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? It's a time for the Holy Spirit where that Holy Spirit is going to come, he's going to fill the Father's house, he's going to fill congregations, he's going to fill sanctuaries. And the distinct characteristic will be his presence. People go, I just like being with those people. I don't even know what it's about. I just like being there. But we have to set ourselves apart. What's what the Bible, the Bible uses a word, it's actually an old word. I don't know that we use it anywhere in our world today. It's called consecration. But it, it literally means to be set apart for a purpose. It's what we do. We consecrate money for vacation. You, you understand what that means now? We set this apart. I, this thing has to be set apart. It has a purpose. I can't spend this money. We're saving for tires. Well, can we use it for going out for dinner? No, it's for tires. That money has been consecrated. And God is wanting us to be consecrated. And so for the first three weeks of the new year, I've invited you to it. It's on the app. It's on our website. It's 21 days of prayer and fasting for healing. We're going to take the first 21 days of the year and we're going to fast and we're going to pray together for healing. Healing in our lives, healing in our congregation, healing in our valley, healing in our state, healing in our country, healing in our world. God, would you begin to set me apart for your purposes? You have a plan. I want to be a part of the plan. I'm available. I may not have much to offer, but I'm available. This is how we will heal the polarization. This is how we will heal the fear. This is how we will heal the self-centeredness that we all deal with. Every last one of us deals with self-centeredness because I want what I want, when I want, how I want, where I want, and with who I want. I want what I want. Don't tell me what to do. It's the definition of sin. I want to control me, and if you let me, I want to control you. I want control. I'm a control freak, and so are all of you. As soon as you said no, you weren't, you just took control. 21 days of prayer and fasting for healing. I've made this available. I made this available last week. It's just, it's 10 pages. It's a pretty quick read. What is prayer and fasting? You can pick it up in the resource center, pick it up in the, in the foyer as you're going out. What is prayer and fasting? What is that all about? You have strongholds in your life, things that you keep struggling with. It's like, man, I've been struggling with this for so long. That's called a stronghold. The Bible calls it a stronghold. 
something that I can't seem to get victory over. I keep going back to that same addiction. I keep going back to the same problem. I keep going back to the same medicating my issues. And God says, I want to break that for you. I want to set you free from that. 2019 is your year, but it's going to require you to pray and fast. <gasps> What's that? I encourage you to pick that up. So you can have an understanding. This is what God wants to accomplish. Let me pray for us. Father, gracious Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, our Lord. He's the boss. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the Savior. He saves us. He rescued us. I pray you give us eyes to see that we are living in days of acceleration that your harvest is upon us, that your presence is here, and we're experiencing the suddenlies. We choose to set ourselves apart, to consecrate ourselves for your purposes. Let us be agents of unity as we do our part in joining the generations as we're coming together. Send your spirit to us now in Jesus' name. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I have a relationship with Jesus. He knows who I am. I know who he is. But our, our conversations, that thing called prayer, is mostly me talking. I don't listen to him very much. I'm sure he has something to say, but I haven't heard what he has to say. If you're looking for a renewal, 2019 is your renewal. This is what God wants to do. I've been sharing for the last several weeks what God has done, what God is doing. Today I want to share with you what God wants to do, but he just needs some people who are available to set themselves apart for those purposes. And you're here, you have a relationship with Jesus, but it'd be hard, people would be hard-pressed to prove it. <laughs> Your kids go, mm, not so much, Dad. I know, I know you say that, Mom, but I don't ever see you pray. I don't ever see you read your Bible. Really? You have a relationship with the God of the Bible? I would never have known that. Coworkers who have no idea you're a Christian. Then today is a good day to renew that commitment fellow students at the university and the school you go with, but on Christmas break, and they know who you are, but God says, I want you to set yourself apart. I have a purpose for you. Today's a great day to do that. I want to pray for you specifically that you renew that commitment. God, flow through me. Holy Spirit, use me. I'm committed to you. I'm available. Show me how to set apart my life. Show me how to set apart my, my words, set apart my thoughts, set apart my actions. How, how do I do that for you? He'll, he, he'll show you. If that's you, I'm praying for you. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to make you move. Just right where you are. Right on. Good for you. Awesome. Good. Great. Great. Good. Excellent. Good for you three. All three of you. Yeah, good. So good. Right on. Awesome. Excellent. Right on. Good. Good. Father, these hands all over the, all over the room have that, 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 it's that signal of I surrender. The hands are up. And so I'm praying for these who had said, you know what? I have a relationship with Jesus. I know who he is, but I, I want to be available for the new thing. I want to break free of those things. I want to get away from the stuff I've been getting away with. All, all those things. And so I pray for these people who just raised their hands and I'm asking in the name of Jesus, would you set them free today? Give them eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is doing. They would take that in. And then if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
He has no idea who you are. You have a relationship with a building called church, and you check off a box. You go here. I checked my box. I went to Christmas. I went to Easter. I went to that wedding. I went to this funeral. You know, I, well, yeah, I know God, but you know what I'm talking about. You know if you have a relationship with God or not because there's a conversation because you're able to talk with him, and he's able to talk with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today is the day to make that happen. Go into 2019 with that thing changed. I said it before, you can live without Jesus, but you don't want to die without him. <laughs> and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to pray for you this morning. That God would come and begin to change your life through his presence. That you would have peace, that you would have joy, that you would be gracious. When you're, in, you're interacting with someone, you go, this person I don't like, but all of a sudden, grace is coming out of you. How did that happen? Because he brings grace to and through you. Peace to and through you. Joy to and through you. That's what God does. That's what the Bible promises. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to pray for you the same way I prayed for some friends just earlier. If that's you, raise your hand right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. Right on. Good for you. Jesus, come into the life. That's, I, I, just, I need God to come into me because I've gotten this far on my own. Now what? Anybody else? Father, for this one, anybody before I pray? Right on. Good for you, man. Awesome. Glad I waited. Four. Father, for these four, in Jesus' name, would you come in and begin to change? Begin to, not, it, it's not, oh, I have to dress a certain way and talk a certain way and I got to carry around a Bible with me all the time. No, 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 listen, listen. Just, he just starts to change the inside first, not the outside. He goes from the inside out. He changes our hearts first, how we think, how we feel, how we see. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I really don't need this anymore. And the stuff in our lives, we begin to shed this stuff, making room for more of him in our lives. And so for these four who've raised their hands and said, I just, you know what? Today's a day. I want to go into 2019 different. So for these four, I pray, Jesus, come into their life. Restore. Make whole. I pray for the restlessness in their hearts and in their minds. No more anxiety. In Jesus' name, rest. Let it be so. Let it be done.